Hey, hey. No, there's a clock at the back, thanks, babe. Cindy's just reminding me. We have uh, load shedding a little bit later today, so I'm going to try to land this sermon before all the stuff happens. Anyway, guys, please turn with me in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 13. Um, we are preaching a series at the moment. We've just finished the Ecclesiastes series. If you're visiting with us today, like, go have a look. It's on our YouTube channel. It was a... It was an amazing, amazing preaching series. I know I say that every week after we've, um, since we finished it, but really it was such a life-changing, really challenging series, really, really cool. The whole preaching team preached, so there's eight different preachers over eight weeks, and um, I felt like God really spoke to us as a church community. But during this holiday period, a lot of guys are away, and so what I'd kind of like to do during these times is not preach, the, not preach necessarily those big um, brick-in-the-wall sermons or series that are important for us as a church in terms of direction and, and foundations, I'd like to preach more devotional kind of preaching around um, how do we interpret scripture, how do we look at what God's word says, so that but tomorrow morning when we wake up, we're excited to go, wow, you know, I want to go read the Bible as well, I want to read what God has to say. And so we're doing a little mini series at the moment through the, this month of July, through some of the battles of the Old Testament. And I think when I first thought about um, preaching this series, someone suggested it to me, uh, someone on our preaching team, and I was a little bit like, hmm. But then I thought, it's, it's actually so helpful because there's so much of the Old Testament, I think that we just read and we go, wow, cool. You know, they had a fight and God, God won. Yay. And that's it. We move on. But there's like three or four chapters devoted to that battle. There's more than just God won. Yay. You know? And so last week we looked at um, Abraham and Lot and how uh, God rescued, um, uh, was sent Abraham to go rescue Lot and how our decisions have a direct implication on how our lives kind of are lived out. And it was quite a sobering message. Today we, we're looking at the, the battle, if you like, of, like I mentioned in a moment, like I mentioned just now, of the children of Israel when they're running away. Well, they're escaping from Egypt, not running away, actually. God's leading them out, and they're pursued by the Egyptians. But I was thinking, how on earth do I preach this interestingly? Just letting you know, inside line as a preacher, um, there's some times where it's really, really hard, like Christmas, for instance. You don't preach the same message every year, but it comes around once a year, and it's the same story. And Easter is exactly the same. And some of these stories are exactly the same as well, but... It's a good challenge for us as preachers and as Christians because we do read through our Bible and we do read these stories over and over again. And God's word somehow is so deep and so three-dimensional that I can read it a hundred times and every time I read it, there's something fresh and something new and something alive. And so I'd like to preach this story a little bit back to front, a little bit upside down and employ a lot of creative license, if, if you don't mind. It's not heresy, um, but I'm just adding... I'm adding some creative license to the story. So I'd like to, I'm going to obviously read scripture, but I'd like to tell the story of the children of Israel leaving Israel from the perspective of Benjamin. Now, if you've never heard of Benjamin, it's fine. He's not in the Bible. He's, I made him up yesterday. <laughs> but, but Benjamin is eight years old, and he's, his dad and his family, whatever, they're Israelites. And I'd like to kind of tell you the story of, hey, good to see you back. Cool, welcome back for the holiday. Sorry. 
sorry. <laughs> anyway, Benjamin, little Benjamin. Uh, so little bit, I'd like to tell you the story of the children of Israel leaving and all the, you know, not the plagues, but the, the, the firstborn and then getting out and chased by Pharaoh and all the stuff that they did, they did from his perspective. Because I think there's some lessons we can learn looking at it through the eyes of a child. And we can look at the story through the eyes of little Benjamin um, and hopefully it'll be helpful. And if it doesn't work, it's fine. Don't worry, you can go listen to the Ecclesiastes sermon this afternoon. Anyway. <laughs> So we, Exodus chapter 13. So we're going to start with the Passover. So all the plagues have happened, and God is now speaking to the children of Israel. Now it's, it's go time. So I read this text just now when we had communion. On the same day, Exodus chapter 13, reading from verse 12. On the same night, I will pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn of both people and animals. I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. The blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are. When I see the blood, I will pass over you. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. Excuse me. At midnight, the Lord struck down all the firstborn of Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on the throne to the firstborn of the prisoner. Pharaoh and all his officials and all the Egyptians got up during the night. There was loud wailing in Egypt, for there was not a house without someone dead. So little Benjamin, right, he's sitting in his house, and he sees his dad sacrifice this lamb, and goes and paints, you know, he's never seen this before, takes some reeds, because then he paintbrushes, and Michael Hardway. So he goes and he dips it in the blood and he wipes it on the posts of the door. And he's like, Dad, why are you doing that? And his dad's very honest, like a super honest guy. And his dad says, not the greatest dad in the world, he could have softened it a little bit, but look, it's what you, it's what you get, right? So he, his dad says to him, because the angel of death, <laughs> right, is going to be passing over tonight. And anywhere that he doesn't see the blood on the doorpost, he's going to wipe out the firstborn. Now, there's a problem with that because turns out Benjamin is, is the firstborn in this house. Firstborn son. And so he's thinking about this judgment. He's sitting terrified. And he's thinking, he remembers the fact that yesterday he shouted at his sister, and he, he ripped, because his dad wouldn't let him play with guns, so he ripped off her Barbie's head and bent Barbie in half and used that as a gun when he was playing with his brothers. And he just remembers these bad things. He remembers that he like, stole stuff from the kitchen, and then when his mom told him, he said he denied it. And so he's like, and this angel of death is coming. God's coming to judge. And little Benjamin is terrified. But is, and so he haltingly sort of semi-confesses some of the stuff to his dad. His dad said, no, 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 no. The fact that there is blood on the doorpost means that Jesus or this lamb has covered over your sin. And the angel of death passes over. And he's like, Whew. But still he was afraid because he heard the wailing in the houses of other people. Says all of Egypt was wailing that night. He's just sitting there like. But the angel passed over. And friends, I'd like to challenge us on something. In the church, when I, I talk to people, there is too much of this fatalistic, karma thinking. Looking at horoscopes. 
looking for something to say that my future is going to be okay. To try and predict, to try and know. I did this, therefore I deserve this. Friends, either the blood of Jesus did what it did for us, or it didn't. There's no 50-50. And as Christians, it's where we start. Covered by the blood of Jesus. Forgiven by Him. Able to stand in front of God and not be afraid. And when we, do feel, when we have fallen and we feel like we've let God down and we've let others down, our go-to is what? Our go-to is not, well, let's weigh up all the good things and all the bad things I've done and see, you know, how am I doing? Yeah. It's, is there or have I been covered by the blood of Jesus? That's it, full stop. And that's what little Benjamin reminded himself of. But he also thought to himself, I'm not going to do that to Bobby again because he remembered how scared he was. <laughs> And God says stuff like, I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord, but no destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. Friends, some of us need to hear that over our lives today. And when God judges and when God brings things and when God does his stuff, we are his children. We are covered in the blood of Jesus. He loves us. He knows us. And he will protect us. Just... The world doesn't need a church that's trying to earn God's approval. Friends, that is religion in its purest form, and it's sick. It makes a mockery of the cross, and it, it paints this burnt-out, exhausted church to a world that needs hope and life and light. The truth of God's word. Then a little bit later on, so now this thing's happened. And so little Benjamin's chilling at home. And there's a, a message that goes out. Uh, they were on a big WhatsApp group. And this WhatsApp message comes through. Exodus chapter 13, verse 8. It says, that same night, it's God speaking to Moses, and that's what went out in the group. That same night, the children of Israel, to eat the meat roasted over the fire, along with the bitter herbs and bread made without yeast, do not eat the meat raw or boiled in water, but roasted over a fire with the head, legs, and internal organs. Do not leave any of it till morning. If some of it is left till morning, you must burn it. This is how you are to eat it, with your cloak tucked into your belt, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. Eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. So God told this to Moses way in advance, way before the angel of death passes over. So they get this on. Like, and Benjamin's dad comes to him and he's like, we're going to do this. You need to tuck in your belt and you need to get your... your um, you're running Nikes on because we, like, we're missioning now. Like there's, there's stuff happening. And he's, he's looking around and he's like, but dad, we're slaves. We've been slaves for hundreds of years here in Egypt. What do you mean we're leaving? What are you talking about? In verse 37, the Israelites journeyed from Ramesses to Succoth. This is after they've been sent out. There were about 600,000 men on foot besides women and children. Many other people went up with him, and also large droves of livestock, both flocks and herds. With the dough the Israelites had brought from Egypt, they baked loaves of unleavened bread. The dough was without yeast because they had been driven out of Egypt and did not have time to prepare food for themselves. And so little Benjamin is sitting there, and he's like, 
How did dad know? How did he know what was going to happen? And this is the detail of how much his dad knew. This is the detail of how much the children of Israel knew what God was going to do beforehand. I'm not a baker here. I'm not a, I'm not a good with bread person. But I know yeast doesn't rise in a minute. It takes a while, right? You've got to put it in a cupboard. Or no? Yeah? yeah? But you put the yeast in, you've got to have time for it to rise. There wasn't time. Because God was moving and they had to move quickly. And also they didn't have time to slaughter the animal and you know, nicely dress it, cut off its legs and take out its guts and do this whole preparation process. There wasn't time because God was acting quickly. And little Benjamin sits there in the beginning and he hears this whole thing of, we're going to eat bread without yeast in it. It's like, that sounds like Provitas and they sif. So he's not excited about that. Sorry to the Provita fans. That, that's not the best thing. And that's so gross. Like, are we, like we're just going to singe the fur of this animal. Like, this is, this is so gross. Why would we do this? And then all of a sudden, when it comes time to move, it all suddenly begins to make sense to him. And he begins to realize that there's more going on here, right, than just his dad is leading him out. It's like we knew. We knew what was coming. We knew what was before. And friends, I, while I was preparing for this, this morning's sermon, I felt like for some of us, there are things that God is doing in us right now and they make absolutely no sense. The bread has no yeast in it, right? It feels like there's something missing. And other parts of your life, the way you want to prepare something, there just doesn't seem to be time and so it's kind of like best fit but it just feels ugly. Like this animal cooking it with its guts in. It's just... But stick to what God has called you to because in time you'll realize that he knows what he's doing and he knows what he's building in you. Friends, when God speaks, we don't have time to sit and kind of line everything up and get everything all nice and neat. I've realized like when we planted this church, we were sitting in, um, in Moy River. And if you look at Cindy and I's journey, I started in Durban. Then I moved to Peter Maritzburg. And then we moved to Moy River to prepare us for Joburg. <laughs> and there were times along the way where I'm like, God, you, oh, you, you promised us we'd lead a church. You put it in our heart. And my world's just getting smaller and smaller. Like, never mind no yeast. I'm trying to make bread at the moment without any flour. <laughs> it's just milk and eggs. And it's gross. Like, what are you doing? Just walk the path. Stick it out, whatever the thing God has for you, because in time, friends, when it, when it comes to fruition, if they'd been sitting waiting, waiting around for this half-done, half-yeasty bread, they wouldn't have had any sustenance for the journey. But because they had bread without yeast, they were able to eat it and cook it straight away and be able to move quickly. And perhaps for others of us, we're sitting here today and we're waiting for everything to line up just perfectly. And it's got to be peachy and exactly the right shade of whatever the thing is you're waiting for. And it's all got to line up and the finances have to be perfect and the people have to be perfect. And the weather has to be perfect and the barometric pressure has to be perfect or whatever it is. Everything has to line up. Then God will do something. And God's just saying, go, do, walk, live. Perhaps it's your marriage. 
if they do this, then I'll do this. They need to bring a bit of yeast to the party. What has God said, friends? What has God said? In our businesses, what has God said? Honesty, integrity. In our relationships with people, what has God said? And just because it hasn't all lined up doesn't mean that he's not there. So anyway, little Benjamin's stoked out of his bracket at the moment. He's like, my dad knows the future. (laughs) He gets WhatsApp messages to tell us what's coming up ahead of time. This is so exciting. Judgment passed over me. Chapter 13, verse 11. After the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites and gives it to you, as he promised on oath to you and your ancestors, you are to give it over to the Lord. You are to give over to the Lord the first offspring of every womb. All the firstborn males of your livestock belong to the Lord. Redeem with a lamb every firstborn donkey, but if you do not redeem it, break its neck. Redeem every firstborn amongst your sons. In days to come, when your son asks you, what does this mean? Say to him, with a mighty hand, the Lord brought us up out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. When Pharaoh stubbornly refused to let us go, the Lord killed the firstborn of both the people and the animals in Egypt. This is why I sacrifice to the Lord the first male offspring of every woman, redeem each of my firstborn sons. And it will be like a sign on your hand and a symbol on your forehead that the Lord brought us up out of Egypt with his mighty hand. Now when we read that, I'm like, you break the donkey's neck. It sounds hectic. I don't even know how you do that. Those things bite and kick and Shrek, you know. (laughs) But if you read it from little Benjamin's perspective, it all of a sudden makes so much sense. Because you know what he felt when he read it? God wants me. I belong to him. That's what that text is saying. When his dad told him that, that I'm sacrificing this animal because you belong as the firstborn. You belong to God. His little mini frame, his little chest puffed up, and he's like, look, I'm special. I'm the firstborn. I belong to God. Just walk around lording it it over his brothers and sisters. (laughs) Little Amy comes in. As the chosen of God. I need a glass of Coke. Can you go get me one? Like he's the firstborn. Chosen. God said that he, Benjamin, belonged to him. And friends, this is what's so beautiful about this. In Colossians 1.15, it says, talking about Jesus, it says he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Talking about Jesus. And Jesus has paid a sacrifice that we are all, we all receive the rights and privileges of who Jesus is as we enter and as we come in under his blood. And so for each of us, when God looks at us, each of us are the image of the firstborn. God doesn't have any Lord Lama keys in his family. God doesn't have any middle kids. You know the problem in middle child? Oh, that aches like my family. God has firstborn, his chosen ones who belong to him. And they are precious to him. And friends, 
when God asked the children of Israel to make that sacrifice, God never asks us to make a sacrifice that he himself doesn't understand. In Hebrews it says, we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but who was just like us in every way. He was tempted in every way just as we were, yet was without sin. And so we have, God comes and he's like, this is what I'm asking you to do to redeem the firstborn. Because he was going to pay the ultimate price in sending his firstborn for us. That Jesus would die on our behalf. God is not a hypocrite who sits in heaven and points and makes an ask right over and above what he's prepared to offer. He comes to us and he gives us everything. And so I don't know what your space is. Maybe you need to have a little bit of a brain rethink. You need to look at little Benjamin in the mirror. Or little whatever your name is. Firstborn. Firstborn. You belong to him. Right? And he, and he went out of his way to make a point of the fact that you belong to him and you're incredibly precious to him. And that he wants you for himself. Like, that's so amazing. And little Benjamin got it, but we, we don't get it always, right? We pass by it. We have all gained access by the one door. The one door, Jesus. So let's talk about the route quickly. So now they're heading on out. Exodus chapter 13. When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them on the road through the Philistine country, though that was shorter, for God said if they face war, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. So God led the people round the desert road toward the Red Sea. The Israelites went up out of Egypt, ready for battle. So for those of you who've read your Bible and, and heard these stories a little bit, it's very easy for us to kind of not or kind of gloss over the time frames. Maybe this is helpful for you. It took them 24 days to travel from Egypt to the Red Sea, the crossing of the Red Sea. It didn't just happen like this. They didn't walk out and then Pharaoh chased them. It's 24 days. And in that time, they traveled nearly 500 kilometers. That's 21 kilometers a day. It's hectic. And, and they didn't pick the this, this shortest route because if you look at... If you look at Israel, if you look at Egypt, where they left Egypt, so I'm going to do it in reverse for you, right? Here's the globe. Here's Africa with its little nose and whatever there. So they would have, the easiest route would have been to travel from Egypt along the coast straight through to Canaan. Quick. But instead of that, they go down into like the um, Sinai Peninsula, and it's a long route around through the desert. And the reason is, this short little route along the coast there were two major powers in the world at the time. There were the Mesopotamian guys who were up in like modern day where Syria and those countries are, and there were the Egyptians. And, e and Israel was right in the middle. And they used to invade each other periodically, right? Babylon or whatever, some empire would rise up and they go smash the other guys. And the way they smashed the guys was along that coastal road. That's where all the action happened. And they had forts set up and... You know, gun turrets and tanks and airplanes. It was like airstrips. There were nukes and bunkers. It was hectic along there. And so God knew if the children of Israel walked out and they were walking along that coastal road, they would bump into one lot of Egyptians after the next. And then when they got past the Egyptians, they'd be bumping into the Mesopotamians coming down from the north. And it's like they would be back in Egypt in a heartbeat. They'd be like, this sucks. Too much war. So God led them on another route. But, unfortunately, Benjamin's dad didn't see it like that. He was just moaning and complaining. He was saying to um, his brother, um, Benjamin's uncle, he's like, why don't we just go straight there? This is ridiculous. 
Why don't we just take the route straight there? This is, why are we going through the desert? It's hot, it sucks. But fortunately, there was an old grizzled Assyrian guy. Just go with me on this for a second. And this old grizzled Assyrian guy, right, he was, he was with the people of Israel, because not everyone who left was, was an Israelite. There were other guys with him. And this old Assyrian guy, he like walked up to the campfire that night where they were all busy talking and moaning because they were talking about breaking away, Benjamin's family. They were going to break away and go the coastal road themselves. Hey, these guys don't know what they're doing. Why are they going through the desert? And this old grizzled Assyrian guy has got like scars on his face. He's got two swords like on his back. Boots of haste. Anyway, <laughs> anyway whatever. So, the, so this guy comes to the fire and he sits down and he goes, you know why? He said, I don't know who picked the route, but whoever he is, he's a genius. Because you know what it looks like there? There's nukes and airstrips and tanks. It's hectic. It's longer to go this way, but there's no opposition. You'll need provision, but there won't be any opposition. And they're like, oh. They thought they knew better. Because little Benjamin, like, when he heard there were nukes and tanks and whatever, he looked at the little sword that he had. It was sort of more of a steak knife, but that's what he had. He was small. And he's like, like it looks good, on my, but I don't really want to have to use it because I don't really know what I'm doing with my little steak knife. God had a journey to walk, on it, walk him with. You know what's so beautiful about the, the route that they walked, friends? It's a prophetic picture of what we experience as Christians. It starts off with salvation, the blood on the doorpost. And then they led every day by a pillar of cloud during the day and a pillar of fire by night, being empowered and led by the Holy Spirit. And passing through the Red Sea is a picture of water baptism, what all of us need to experience. And then trusting God daily after that. There was a pattern to what God was doing with the Israelites for us. There's always a bigger picture of what God is doing. But we sometimes obsess so much over the detail. I want the quickest, easiest solution. I want A to B. If we lose a few people along the way, eh, but at least we got there. And God is interested in the process, friends, and not just the process for our sake, but the process for the sake of others as well, because he intends to use us for his glory for the sake of others. We don't always get that. And sometimes it does seem like, okay, God's taking us from Joburg to Durban via Dar es Salaam or via <laughs> Melbourne, and you're just like... Dude, I know they're in three, like we just go down the road. And God, God says, I, I'm not asking you to set the map for me. I'm asking you to follow me. And friends, I believe this. The reason some of us aren't receiving the answers, God, what are you doing in the future? Is because if we received the answer, we would take the direct route along the coastal road. And there's nukes and tanks. Listen to little Benjamin. Anyway. That's the, the route. And then I want to finish with the actual battle, which is where we're getting to, right? Exodus 14. When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, Pharaoh and his officials changed their minds and said, What have we done? We've let the Israelites go and lost their services. So he had his chariot made ready and took his army with him. He took 600 of his best chariots along with the other chariots of Egypt with officers, all of them. The Egyptians, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots, horsemen and troops, pursued the Israelites overtook them as they camped by the sea near Pi-Hiroth, opposite Baal-Zephon. As Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up, and there were the Egyptians marching after them. They were terrified and cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, 
Was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us into the desert to die? What have you done to us by bringing us up out of Egypt? And Benjamin's dad was one of these guys and his uncle. Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone, let us serve the Egyptians. It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. And little Benjamin's sitting there and his dad's like shouting at Moses along with everybody else. But he stops and he looks at his dad and he goes, because his dad's been a slave his whole life and his dad's quite thin, emaciated, not well fed, maybe a little bit dirty still. It's only been 24 days or whatever since he left. And he doesn't really know how to use that sword that he asked the Egyptians for when he left because God gave them favor with the Egyptians before they left. They were able to ask for anything, but like, it's like a three-year-old with a machine gun and the dad with a sword doesn't really know what he's doing. And he also had his, you know, little Benjamin had his little steak knife. Yeah. And these chariots that the Egyptians had back in those days, they were, um, they, uh, were quite light. They had six spokes on the, on the wheels and they were driven by two people. So you had a driver and then you would have um, the guy at the back, they were both able to fight, but you had a driver and the guy in the back was primarily, his first weapon would be archery. So these guys are coming at them, like with these... Um, these chariots, there's the guy riding in front, there's the guy over the top with a bow and arrow, and it's like, you've got a steak knife. <laughs> and he's terrified of what's in front of him. And Benjamin was a little bit different to the other Egyptians because he wasn't so afraid of dying in the desert, but he just didn't ever want to go back to Egypt because he knew what it was like. And he tasted a bit of freedom when they're out in the desert. You know? At nights when they set up the tents, they're not, their dad doesn't make bricks every day. His dad isn't coming home beaten up and whatever. But his dad's with him. And the family's together. They sit around and it's amazing. And he wants more of that. But he's terrified. And so maybe this is helpful. Historians, if you read what happened at the Red Sea, it's really helpful to kind of look at it, because I think the pictures we see of this massive ocean that's like these giant towering walls, um, most historians agree it wasn't like that. This is not the Red Sea that if you Google the Red Sea now. The Red Sea now, if you Google the Red Sea, is an ocean, right? It's like, that's not the Red Sea they're talking about at all. They didn't cross, it's like the Gulf of Aden, if you know where the Gulf of Aden is, it's just a little bit further up from that. This is, and so they were crossing a, like a, a, a massive river or a, um, like a massive lake. And so what, what historians tell us is that these rivers would seasonally come down and flood. But this is not like a little trickle river like the width of this room. This is a river that's a few miles wide. And it would come down in a raging torrent. Any of you guys seen KZN, some of the stuff that was going on down there on the TV? So it is even more terrifying than a sea because they're not getting there and there's this like gentle waves lapping on the ocean. You know, it's a seagull flies past, you know, smell of fish. and No, this is a raging, there's just mud and foam and someone's house. And there's all this stuff going on and they have to cross that. That's what's in front of them. Behind them, Pharaoh and the guys are coming. It's terrifying. It's not, it's not like acres deep. But if you step in there, you're gone. That's what they're facing in front of them. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and all that night the Lord drove back the sea with a strong east wind and turned it into dry land. And this is the most amazing thing. Think about when, so it gets blown aside, and the water gathers on either side. It doesn't keep, doesn't keep washing in this flood. 
The most incredible thing isn't that the water split, but they crossed over on dry ground. Cindy and I once were birding in northern Zululand, and that's one of our extreme sports that we do, and we were in this forest, and there's mud like this thick, and these, these elephants came into the forest, and they're a little bit wild, and so they started chasing us, so we had to get out of the forest. Do you know how hard it is to run through clay this thick? You can't. You, uh, there's still one of my shoes. I pulled, pulled it out, shoes stayed in, I kept going. Didn't have time. These guys were after us. They were elephants, not Egyptians. But they crossed over on dry ground. If any of you guys have watched Lord of the Rings, though, like there was a thin little piece of dry ground that stay on the path. Don't look left and right. Don't look at the, you know, the weirdos in the water. Anyway, so they had to stay on the path. And so they stayed on the path. But when Pharaoh and the guys came after them, they rode their chariots into that mud. And it just stopped. And once the last Israelite was out, that flood resumed. Think Durban. <laughs> Finished. Wiped out. You know what little Benjamin did when no one was looking? He got a stick. And he went to the water. And he went like that. And nothing happened, obviously, because the Bible would have told us if it had. But he'd seen it happen. And friends, I felt for some of us today that God's put some stuff on our hand, but we stopped believing. We don't have faith anymore. All we can see is the stuff that's chasing us. All we can see is the big noise. And we think, even if this did happen, then there's muddy ground anyway. It's like, ah. God is able to line up everything that he can line up only he can line up for us to be able to go through on dry ground and perform the miracle. What has he put in your hand? This little Benjamin, anyway, he goes through and he was super relieved that he didn't have to use his sword, his little steak knife. He was super, super stoked about it. And he got to the other side and he had a story that he could tell to his friends, he could tell to other people of how God had delivered him. When they were traveling through the desert, He's like, you know, another reason why we travel through the desert. My dad's not as stressed. Out here, my dad takes time. And friends, sometimes the reason God leads us into these wide open spaces where there isn't a whole lot of doing isn't so that we can architect a whole bunch of doing. It's so that we can learn to rest. We can learn to breathe. We can learn to call on his name. And later on, the quail come and there's manna provided for them every day. And that was like little, you know, that was his job every day. He's collecting manna like this is amazing and on the seventh day it's not there just wow. grew up in the supernatural community and friends that's God's intention for us that we would grow up in a supernatural community so I want to just quickly end with um, five things I'd like to pray for and then I'm going to pray and then we're done in light of our little Benjamin I felt like there's some of us perhaps here today who are sitting needing a clean cut with our past we're still remembering the cookies that we stole. We're still remembering that we snapped Barbie and the things that we've done. It's all we can think about. We obsess over our pasts. Time to leave. Others of us, number two, need to surrender and trust God in setting up our future. There was a reason why when that lamb, when they, hadn't, when they finished eating whatever they're going to eat, they burnt that thing to nothing. 
because they couldn't take any provision from Egypt, like I'm taking Egyptian provision with me in terms of food. When I'm on the road, I cook the food for the road on the road. The provision for our future is in our future. I said it before, if you, run in, if you launched into comrades with every bit of water on your back that you would need for the whole run, no one would ever finish comrades. You trust that the provision for the future is in the future. Burn it at the, the start. Others of us feeling, need to feel that precious sense of belonging. Need to know that we're his firstborn and that he loves us. Others perhaps have been pursued by habits or the past or the enemy's attacks or fear. It's all we can see. We forget that God's put something in our hand. The funny thing is, if you look at the children of Israel, they didn't just all run off on their own and do their thing. They were in community together. They traveled like 21 k's a day. That's like a lot of, lot of kilometers every day. But they were together as a community, with one another, helping one another, caring for one another. And number five, others of us perhaps are looking forward and it's looking a little bit sticky up ahead. We can't see the way through. I feel like the Holy Spirit wants to come and blow His wind and create a way that we'll be able to see the way through whatever the future looks like. Eyes on Jesus, though. And so I'd love to pray for us if I can. Can we bow our heads? Thank you so much for joining us. You might be asking yourself the question, how can I take this further? Firstly, you can send us your contact details to cindy at centerchurch.co.za where we can include you in our online connect groups and you can receive our daily devotional. Secondly, you can hop on our website where you can access previous sermons and find out more about who we are at Center Church. Thirdly, if you consider yourself as part of Center Church, we want to thank you so much for your ongoing financial partnership. The banking details are on the website. Thank you so much for joining us and hope you have an amazing Sunday.